0: say, how's your head treating you? Go ahead and ask them that. I want to get right into our message this morning. Uh, for several months now, the Lord has laid on my heart this idea that you see behind me called free your mind. And if you have your Bibles and want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, how many of you have ever felt like this right here? Can you see this picture? How many of you ever felt like your mind was just going to explode? Everything out of control, having a hard time pulling it all together, a sense of anxiousness and anxiety and frustration and all those kinds of things. I want to talk to you for a few moments about that today, and I'm going to continue for the next two weeks, and each week we're going to uncover a different aspect of what it means to free your mind. Now, next week's very important, if at all, that you can be here. We're going to talk about some very specific things that we have to deal with in, in our mind. And we have to be intentional in controlling those things that would attempt uh, to grab our mind away from us and keep us in the state of upset and frustration. So today I want to talk to you more about how these strongholds come into our lives and get a hold on us. So let's look at the scripture first, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, But have divine power, say divine power, to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Let's pray. Father, I prepared myself as much as I think I can to bring this message today. I'm totally dependent and I rely upon you for your assistance today. Help my words to be the right words. Let my message be effective today because I realize I'm representing your heart to your people I pray that your people will be able to hear beyond the words of a man and somehow in the spirit realm connect with what it is that you're saying through your word today. Lord, as we uncover these principles over the next three weeks, I pray that you'll allow them to land on receptive hearts so that as they receive the principles of the word of God, their lives can be changed totally and completely. So Father, we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives over the next three weeks. Amen and amen. Amen. I want to begin by making a couple of statements. The first one is this, and I'm going to read it because I wanted to... I wrote this, but I want my words to be understood. I want you to be able to understand where my heart is on this. So the first statement I'd like to make is this. I willingly acknowledge that the church world in general has been silent, even ignorant, when it comes to mental health issues that seem to plague people's lives. I'm thankful that we have started the process that will lead us to better understanding this reality. Suicide is on the rise in the United States of America. Mass killings are at an epidemic rate and status. And we can no longer as a church close our eyes to the tragic consequences of mental health issues. Respectful conversations will help. But political rhetoric that is grounded in ugly, harsh And often demeaning accusations will only serve to deepen the chasm of disagreement around this issue of mental health. And so I want you to know that this is a reality. It's what our world is dealing with. And because the church has been placed in the earth to represent the victory that they can have through Christ Jesus... It becomes our responsibility to understand that dilemma and to be equipped with spiritual knowledge so that when we have to help people who are dealing with these issues, we can do it without being judgmental of them, but we can do it based on the love and the freedom that comes to us in Christ Jesus. Now here's my second statement. We must also acknowledge that many of the issues that plague our world are spiritual and can only be remedied through understanding and spiritual warfare. As a pastor, I'm confident in my ability to effectively provide scriptural counsel in dealing with issues of the mind. I'm also a believer in divine healing As provided through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And just like Jesus is able to heal cancer and diabetes, God is able to heal mental health issues as well. So I'm a believer in that. However, I'm not qualified to intelligently discuss issues that need the attention of a physician, a psychologist, or a counselor. So some of you are going to get mad at me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I would give, as your pastor, the following advice. Number one, if you have mental issues that you feel are physical or psychological, you need to visit a medical or psychological expert who can rule out any chemical imbalances, addictions, or other maladies that may require treatment. Listen, just because we believe in divine healing doesn't mean that God can't heal through doctors and physicians. Thank God for doctors and nurses who know how to treat us through a gift that was given to them by God Himself. So don't let anyone tell you that you are unspiritual or that you are weak. If you feel like you need to go to the doctor and get some knowledge about what it is that you may be dealing with, that's a good opportunity for you to say amen or "Old me, one or the other. My second piece of advice is this, if counseling is needed, I beg you, I plead with you to secure the services of a Christian counselor who will base treatment upon the principles of God's word. And if you need recommendations, I can provide some wonderful recommendations for you if you need a Christian counselor. Psalm chapter one is very clear, and it says, blessed are those who walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. If you need counseling, that's fine. That's okay. But make sure that whoever is counseling you is doing so by the leading of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Otherwise, they're going to lead you down a path that you do not want to go. So those are my statements today. You can have them. They're free of charge. Didn't cost you an extra thing. But that's the way your pastor feels about this issue. And so over the next three weeks... I'm not going to try to medicate you with pills, and I'm not going to try to give you psychological um, principles that will help you. I'm going to stick to the Word of God. Is that okay? Because that's what God's called me to do. So, so let's get started with this statement. When an individual accepts Jesus, their fight with God is over. However, the fight with the devil has only just begun. Can you put that on the screen up there, John? I want them to get this. Let me say it again. When an individual accepts Jesus, their fight with God is over. In other words, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to keep asking God to forgive you for something that he has already forgiven you for. Your fight with God is over. You're saved. You are justified by faith. But if you think the fight is over, then you're mistaken. Because the fight with the devil has only just begun. Amen. although we have desire to have good godly thoughts that produce positive fruit, we often discover in our lives pockets of resistance that remain even after we've been saved. I've been saved for a long time, but I still have to do warfare against thoughts that reside in my spirit. Now, I want to try to illustrate this for you today with a picture. If you throw that brain scan up here on the on the screens, I'd, I'd like for you to see this. Now, I don't know if you can see it very well, but this is a picture of an individual who had a brain scan and uh, they discovered that they had advanced from a normal brain to one that, that was diseased with dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Now, I want you to see the progression here, not because I'm trying to uh, give you medical advice, but because I want to illustrate the spiritual concept here about pockets of resistance. Now, you'll see on the left, you'll see that, that there's a normal brain there. The, the the healthy part of the brain is red, it is yellow, it is green, it is bright. It is illuminated. That's the part of the brain where where positive activity is going on. It's where happiness resides. It's where confidence resides. It's where joy resides. it's, It's where positive activity is taking place in our brain. But now I want you to look at the middle part, and you'll see that what is blue and purple and black is beginning to grow there's always pockets of resistance. The black and the blue and the purple is always fighting against the red and the green and the yellow because it does not want it to reside there. And so it pushes back. It is resisting against it. And so as the disease progresses, you'll notice that the black and the purple and the blue expands because the disease is taking over the healthy brain. Now here's what I want you to see about that. If we're not constantly feeding our brain on the positive things of our faith, then those pockets of resistance can grow and cause our spiritual man to become unhealthy rather than healthy. Now I wanna share some good news with you today. We have victory in this area of our life, and we can control these pockets of resistance through the power of Almighty God. The prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 61, he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion and to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of Morning, the garment of praise instead of a faint and weary spirit so that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the lord that he may be glorified look at your neighbor and say god intends for you to be a strong oak tree amen and then we know john ten ten. we say it a lot around here The thief, the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy you. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. You know, sometimes we think about stealing his material stuff, and we think the devil wants to come against our money and our, and our cars and, and all that kind of thing. I'll tell you what he'd rather have. He'd rather have control of your mind. He'd rather get in your mind and get you to think ways that are contrary to the Spirit of God, because if he can control your mind, he knows that he has you in his hands. So there's good news. So today I want to talk to you about three places where these pockets of resistance can enter into our minds. The first one is that they can come from a dark place, a dark place. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm talking about the devil here, although when we talk about dark things and dark places, we generally think of evil. But what what I mean here is that a dark place is a place where there's, there's no light. Spiritual darkness exists where there is an absence of light. Can you throw that up on the screen there, John, so they can see it? Spiritual darkness exists where there is an absence of light. Now, I want to do something for the sake of illustration, but before I do it, I want to warn you. Because I don't want to frighten anybody. And if there are any children in the house this morning, I want you to go ahead and get them close to you so that if they get frightened by what I'm about to do, you can comfort them. But I'd like Bill, if you would, to look at the light panel. And I would like for you, when I I point to you, I want you to hit blackout, if you will. And what's going to happen is, this entire sanctuary is going to go dark. And you won't be able to see the light So I want it to go dark for a few, now there are going to be a few sources and pockets of light, but basically it's going to be dark, and then he will set the lights back to where they are right now when we're finished. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, now let me remind you, spiritual darkness exists where there is an absence of light. Go ahead and hit blackout if you will. All right. You can see that for the most part, this this room is full of darkness. You can't really tell a whole lot about things that are far from you. Now, if these lights right here were totally and completely dark, you wouldn't be able to see your hand in front of your nose. You wouldn't be able to tell what the person to your right or to your left is wearing. In fact, if it were dark enough... You wouldn't even be able to know if they're still here. For instance, I can't see anyone on the outside edges of this sanctuary. I don't know if you're still here or not. Now, I'd like for somebody, if you would, ushers, to go back and open both doors of the sanctuary, if you would, and just hold them open for a few seconds. Would you do that? So now you see that light is entering. More light is entering into the situation. So you're able to see more than you were able to see just a few seconds ago. Okay, you get the point. That's enough of that. Bill, turn our lights back on if you will. And now you're going to look at your neighbor to see what they are wearing and whether or not they're still here. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Spiritual darkness exists where there is an absence of light. Now, in Scripture, light typically represents knowledge. It understands information with understanding and that is accompanied by wisdom. You've heard me talking about that lately. So here's what I'm trying to say. There are are places of stronghold in our lives because we don't have spiritual knowledge about how to deal with it. We don't have the understanding that we need to overcome. We don't know what the Word of God has to say about it. We don't know what it means to be completely and totally forgiven and saved because we haven't studied and no one has taught us what it means to be saved. So we don't have the knowledge that we need. Now, the lack of spiritual knowledge produces two things. Number one, it perpetuates ignorance. You know what ignorance is, don't you? Ignorance just simply means the lack of knowledge. How many of you know that ignorance does not mean stupidity? It doesn't. It just means I don't have the knowledge. I'm ignorant of that. I don't know how to do that because I don't have the knowledge that I need. So if we remain in a state of not having knowledge, then we perpetuate That ignorance in our lives. And if we're not careful, it can build up a stronghold in our life that prevents us from being victorious in that area of our life because we don't have the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that is necessary to pull it down. So dark places, it also produces impotence. Have you ever heard yourself say, man, I wish I had the power of God over this area of my life. I wish I had the power. I wish I had the anointing. I wish I had the the ability to overcome this. But if you don't have the knowledge that you need, you you will never be able to be victorious over that. You'll be impotent in that area of your life, all of your life, until you gain the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that is necessary to overcome it. So what's the answer? Psalm 119, verses 129 and 130. I love this passage of scripture. It says, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So what he is saying here is that your answer is in the word of God. It's not in the world. It's not in the systems of the world. You won't find it through Buddha. You won't find it through Muhammad. They don't have a clue about the spiritual information that only Jesus Christ has. And it can impart to you through the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things. And the Holy Spirit, when he's teaching us all things, teaches us about what the word of God has to say in our lives. Amen so they can enter into dark spaces and dark places. Secondly, strongholds can, can take hold in hard places. A stronghold may exist on any place there is a fixed set of ideas, a mindset or thoughts or behaviors that are in conflict with revealed truth. Can you put that up there, John. A stronghold may exist any place there is a fixed set of ideas, a mindset, thoughts, or behaviors that are in conflict with revealed truth. Now, let me explain to you what he's trying to say. If you've determined in your mind that you're going to be stubborn with God and stubborn with the word of God, strongholds can build in your spirit. If there's something in the Word of God that you know is true, you know that it's truth, it's based on Scripture, it very clearly says it in the Word of God, but you've decided to be stubborn about it and refuse to receive it and activate that principle in your life, eventually a stronghold will build up in your heart and in your spirit. Because you are fighting with and in conflict with the Word of God. Now, here's what he's talking about here. He's talking about traditional thinking, he's thinking about traditional thoughts. Now, I know what some of you are thinking and where you think I'm going now. You're thinking about, well, we need to return to the old days where women wore their hair up on top of their head like beehives and wore dresses all the time and we sang out of the hymnals and all that kind of stuff. We need to get back to the way things used to be. Listen, it ain't never going back to the way things used to be. I am not going to go out to my vehicle and start cranking on the outside and the front of that thing in order to get it started. I've been fussing about that Honda that we've had now for about three years because it's got a push button on the dash and I can't remember how to get it started when I get in the car. I keep looking and fumbling for the key and I try to put the church key into something that does not exist and then I have to realize that it is no longer that way. And so I have to push the button. And so I'm telling you that there's some things that you're being stubborn about and you're going to have to release it and let it go before God can create something fresh and new in your spirit. He's talking about traditions. Now, there are some positive traditions that we need. Lord, help me to go faster. I need to go faster. What I'm talking about here is a dug-in spirit. Anybody who was just dug-in You ever see a cartoon where they're trying to pull somebody along? They've got their heels down in the ground, and they're trying to pull them. And it's a dug-in, stubborn attitude. Now, there are some things that we need to stand firm in and about. The Scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 15... The, the, the writer here says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. What's he talking about? He's talking about the reality that we are saved by Jesus Christ. There is no other one given among men whereby men must be saved except the name of Jesus. You cannot get saved through Muhammad. You cannot get saved through Buddha. You cannot get saved through some Zen philosophy. You cannot get eternal life through any of those things. I don't care what the world is saying. That we're all serving the same God. We're all all praying to the same God. No salvation comes only through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ and it's a principle that we have got to stand firm in. It doesn't matter how many years old that the principle is. The problem is, is that we sometimes can't tell the difference between what we need to dig in and what we need to dig out of. Because there are some instances where we've got to let go of something that has been a part of our makeup for a long time. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through four says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. See what else the word says about this. In Mark chapter 7 verses 1 through 13 it says I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus I'm sorry Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. That is, they did not wash their hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, "'Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands?' And he said to them, "'Well, did I say a prophesy to you, hypocrites?' As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, I'll explain that in just a minute, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his mother or father, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Now, this concept of Corbin in the New Testament was simply this a very simple concept. When I became an adult, I didn't stop honoring my mother and father. The scripture says in the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. It's the one, it, it comes with a promise of long life. But there's never a time when we are to cease honoring our father and mother. But in the Jewish faith, they had established a breaking loose point from their parents. And so they no longer supported their parents. They no longer took care of them. Instead, they would say, I'm giving everything that I have to God. It was something that they nicknamed Corbin. When they talked about Corbin, they were talking about a time when they said to their parents, I love you, but I'm not going to help you in any way anymore. What I would have given to you, I will no longer give to you. I will give to God the respect that I gave to you. I'll no longer give it to you. I'll give it to God the money that I would have helped you with. I'll no longer help you with that money. I'm going to give it to God. And what God is saying is, as though even though you're doing some things on behalf of the kingdom, you are setting up and establishing your own traditions that are contrary to the word of God. And he said, you are more concerned about your traditions than you are the concepts that are given to us by God himself. So here's the deal, and here's how that works in practically in our life. If you've wronged me, if you did something to me, and it made me angry, and now I'm mad at you, I know that the scripture says I should forgive you. I know that for your benefit and for my benefit, I should give you forgiveness. But if I say, but the world doesn't do that, the world doesn't forgive, the world gets even. So since the world gets even and I'm living in the world, it makes more sense to me to get even than it does to forgive. And what we have done is that we have adopted a tradition of the world that is in conflict to the word of God. Are you understanding with me today? Are you checking with what I'm saying? So what God is saying is, is that if you're not careful, you'll get dug in on something and you will cause God's spirit to be unable to do in you and through you what needs to be done because you have simply dug in. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you ever gotten to an argument with your spouse? Can I see your hands? How many of you it made you so angry that you didn't talk to them for three days? How many of you they made you so angry? that you decided, I'm going to get even one way or the other. I'm going to short cheat the bed. I'm going to empty out the whipped cream can and put shaving cream in it so that when they put whipped cream on their lemon icebox cake or pie, that they'll be eating shaving cream instead of whipped cream. Anybody ever do that? How many of you ever baked them up? A cherry pie, but instead of cherries, you use black olives. Can I see your hands? Those are crazy examples, I understand. And yet we can, if we're not careful, establish strongholds in our lives because we refuse to do what the Word of God says. You know what the Word of God says? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So if you're angry with your spouse and they decide I'm not going to talk it through, if this will have to take place two or three days from now, the scripture says that you're not supposed to let the sun go down on your wrath. So I take that pretty literal. That means that if your spouse goes to bed and doesn't want to talk about it, you and the go in the bedroom and turn the light on and say, I am not going to let you sleep until we have worked this thing out. So you might just as well get up now. if you call yourself a Christian, a child of God, you better wake yourself up, grab your Bible, pray in the spirit, because we're going to work this thing out. Now I realize that that could start some fist fights and things of that nature. could take it to another level. But here's the point I'm trying to make. If we know that the Word of God says, listen, I- I've never understood. I've been pastor in a lot of years. I've never understood couples that get divorces. Because they don't work through their problems. Because they, they get angry with one another. And then they decide that they're going to hold that stronghold in their life. And they refuse to forgive. And so now everything the other one does solidifies and creates a larger stronghold. Until finally we start saying things like this. You know, I don't like you anymore. I don't like you the way that I once did. I used to like you. But I'm telling you, I I can't even hardly stand to look at you anymore. You say, do people actually say that to their spouses? Oh, trust me. Trust me, that and a whole lot worse. I don't like you anymore. I see on TV all the time divorces that are taking place. And one of the last things they say to each other is, you know, I don't love you anymore. You know what caused that? Some kind of stronghold now listen, I understand there are biblical reasons for divorce. I get that. I understand that i 'm not talking about that. if some, if one of your, if you're to say if one of your spouses <laughs> delete that from the tape if you can. I can see people on livestream right now that got a spouse sitting on either side of them watching this. if your spouse has been cheating on you and having affairs with people and, and they refuse to stop and ask for forgiveness, Scripture gives you a reason for divorce. Let me tell you another thing. If you've got a spouse that's being abusive to you, physically abusive to you, and is beating on you and, 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 and breaking your bones and doing physical damage to you, you have a right to leave that environment. God doesn't expect you to stay in there. So I understand that there are reasons for divorce. But there is no reason for Christians to divorce when the situation can be resolved by applying principles of the word of God. Somebody say amen. amen. You're getting awfully quiet in here. But we have to be careful Of those things that we have dug into here's you a virtual amen there's a time to dig in and there's a time to dig out next time that you're waffling between you know what to do and how to go about doing asking yourself should i dig in is this argument based upon a principle of the word of god a foundation of my faith Is it time for me to dig in and refuse to move based on my convictions and the Word of God? Or am I just being stubborn? Am I just being stubborn about this? And is there some wiggle room on this issue so that I can dig out of this traditional mindset and this stubbornness and see things in a new way? You say, are you still talking about the mind? I absolutely am. Because these things happen in our mind. And if we don't control our mind, then our mind will control us. Yeah. So strongholds come in dark places, which means there's a lack of knowledge. Strongholds come in, in hard places, which literally means an entrenchment, a hard place, a stubborn place, if you will. And then in the last thing I want to share with you, and I'll, and I'll close for this week, is that they come in spongy places. Spongy places. And here's what I mean by that. If you have a spongy mind, it means that you are vulnerable to suggestions. It means you're vulnerable to suggestions. Here's a virtual amen. A spongy place is evident when the devil's thoughts or the world's philosophies seem more credible than God's. Did you catch that? Did you ever find yourself trying to please God and be obedient and yet you find in your mind that you're saying, but that doesn't make sense to me. Can I tell you that most of what God requires of you doesn't make natural sense. It doesn't make human sense at all. Can you imagine being Gideon and having thousands of warriors to go into battle with and God says, you have too many. You need to get rid of some. Make them uh, lay down and lap water or get water out of the drink and based on how they drink the water, God said, no, they can't be on the team. You got to get rid of them. And they went from thousands to 300 people. And finally, he had 300 warriors, and God said, this is the perfect size for me to do what needs to be done. Can you imagine? Most of what God asks you to do doesn't make any natural sense at all. That's why so many people don't do some of the simple things that would, that would remove strongholds in their lives. Things that God requires us to do, but it doesn't make any natural sense to us. And so we refuse to give it a place in our thinking and in our mind. Spongy places. Now, I want to tell you something that is fact. I want you to understand this. The devil cannot control your will. God can, but God will not control your will. Both can and will influence your thought life, but the final choice always belongs to you. Donna, would you and Jane come up here for just a minute and help me preach? All I want you to do is one of you stand on one side and one of you stand on the other. Come over here, Jane. And Donna, you stand here. I'll, I'll shake hands with you. i shake hands with you. No, I ain't shaking hands with you. <laughs> Isn't it good to have Jane back from California? She's been gone about two weeks. I've held this message off for all that time so that she can help me <laughs> preach this. Now, in case you're wondering who these people represent, let me, let me introduce you first of all to God. This is God. Quite appropriate, don't you think? This would be the devil. <laughs> so you have God and you have the devil. Now with that fresh in your mind, let me say what I just said to you again. The devil Cannot control your mind. It doesn't matter how hard the devil, he or she, tries to make me do something, can't do it. Doesn't have the authority. Doesn't have the power. How many of you remember Flip Wilson from a a few years ago? The black comedian that had a show. And you, you know what his line was? The devil made me do it. That's theologically unsound. It was funny as all get out, but it's theologically unsound. Try as hard as you can. You cannot control my will. You cannot make me do anything. You can't. You don't have the power. You can make me do anything you want me to do. You could, de- you could have designed me as a puppet. So that you can make me do and say and act any way that you wanted me to do. But you gave me a free will to pick and choose how I'll live my life. So you can control my will, but you refuse to do so. Because you want us to serve you out of our choice. You can't. You won't. But here's one thing that they can both do. They can influence my thought life. So Jane can start whispering things into my ear. Let's go, Dairy Queen. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't even want to know. But I can tell you it wasn't grounded in Scripture. It wasn't theologically sound. No, I'm just kidding. She just wants to go to the Dairy Queen when church is over. That's all she wants. She can influence my thinking. She can influence, the devil can, what I'm thinking and what I might want to do. What I might desire to do so that I'm trading my desire to please God for my desire to please myself. I don't ever do anything to try to please the devil. As a Christian, that is a foreign way of thinking. But if I try to please myself, and it is contrary from the things of God, even though I'm not trying to please the devil, I am in effect pleasing the devil by being selfish. Does that make sense to you? Now, God will influence me through the things of the Spirit. Whisper something into my ear. Oh, she loves me. That's a good one because there are so many people they don't feel, how could God love me? I'm unworthy. God can't love me. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. I came from a background that that was horrible, but that does not change the fact that God loves you. And so when you're thinking that nobody loves you, everybody hates you, I think I'm going to go outside and eat some worms. Then you remember in your spirit that God said, I love you with an everlasting love. Nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So they can both influence me from their perspective, but only I have the will and the right to choose which I'm going to do. So am I going to go to the Dairy Queen with Jane after church? Or am I going to love myself because I have been confirmed by the representative of God that God loves me with an everlasting love? Thank you, ladies. You've done a good job, and you're not really the devil. How many of you know that you are confronted with choices like that every day of your life? Come help me quit if you will. So let me ask you this. What influences your spiritual thinking? What influences your spiritual thinking? Is it your emotions? Do you live by feelings instead of faith? Is it a worldly philosophy? Is it the arts? Is it the music that you listen to? Is it the television shows that you watch? Is it the books that you read? I just recently watched Creflo Dollar's rendition of how to pick somebody to date and he got on the Fifty Shades of Grey. And he told his wife Taffy, he said, there ain't gonna be none of that in my house. I said, Taffy, you better get your ropes and put them away. We ain't doing nothing like that in this house. I laughed until I cried. It's hilarious. But the point is right on Mark. What influences you? Who influences you? What are you putting in? Is it fleshly passion? I've heard men say to me, did you notice so-and-so today? Man, she looked fine. No, I didn't notice. Because I've chosen to discipline myself to consider one person in my life as being fine in that way. If I start looking at others and start deciding whether or not they're fine or not, then there's going to come a time in my life when I may pass over from appreciation of the way someone looks to where I begin lusting after them. And the Bible clearly states that if you look at someone, the scripture says, if you look, a, look at a woman and you want to have relations with her in your mind, even though you don't do it, it's as though you already have because you've conceived that thing in your mind. So I ask you again, are you being spongy? Are you open to suggestions? 1 Peter 5, 7 through 9 says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Ephesians 4 and 25 through 27 says, therefore having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. we, We are all members one of another. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Second Peter 1, 3 through 8, His divine power is granted to me all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through those promises I may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these things be in you and are increasing, they keep you or prevent you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I give you one more? Romans 12, 1 through 2. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Where does your mind reside? Is it in your safe at home? or Is it in your kitchen pantry at home? No it's in you present your bodies therefore your minds as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable And perfect I don't know if I've ever preached as fast as I could and still took the same amount of time I wanted to give you some scripture today that will help you because long after I shut my mouth I'm praying that those spirits will find root in your in your heart and your spirit and you'll begin to identify these things now let me ask you something this morning how many of you really feel like it's time in your life to take some control over the thoughts that have lived in your mind and in your heart for too long? You're tired of living outside of victory and you want victory in that area of your life. Well, here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to be vigilant and see if in those dark places, Where there is no knowledge, no spiritual knowledge, you're going to have to find the knowledge that you need to be victorious. In those hard places where you've just grown stubborn, where you know what the Word of God says, you know what the truth is, but you've just made up my mind, I'm just not going to do it. You've become stubborn and dug in in that area of your life it will create a stronghold in your mind. And you'll never be able to free your mind when you're being stubborn with God. Or maybe you're one of those that your mind is spongy. It's just, you know, the, any suggestion that somebody makes, you're okay with that. It's like the individuals that we all know that when you go to the restaurant, you make them order last. Because if they order first... Every time somebody else puts an order in, they say, "Oh, that sounds good. Could I change my order to that? Would you mind? No, I don't mind. I'll do it. And then somebody else's orders, and then it's, oh, that sounds good too. Could you change that? And you make them order last because you know that they're going to change every time they hear a suggestion that is different from what they really, really want. So everybody else, orders and then they have to choose and make a choice. Let me tell you today, we have got to get to the place where our minds are no longer spongy when it comes to our faith belief system. We have to know what we know that is based upon this word and then we've got to dig in to the scripture and we've got to dig out of those mentalities that keep us stubborn before the Lord. Will you stand with me this morning? I hope I got through to you today. I hope the Word of God found its mark today because the only way you're going to free your mind is through scriptural principles. When you discover what the Word of God says and what God has for you, that's the only way that you're going to overcome. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me ask you this morning. You'd say, Pastor, I'm one of those people that I've got a few dark places that I need to deal with. There are some things in my life that are dark and strongholds are set up there because I don't know what I need to know about that particular thing in my life. If that's you, can I see your hand right where you... right right where you are. Yeah, leave leave them up for just a second if you will. Okay, put them down. Now maybe you're the ones, the next group, you'd say, Pastor, I'm stubborn as can be. And I've got some hard thoughts and stubborn thoughts that I need to break down. I need the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to do it. I need to dig out of some of the things that I have dug into that are contrary to the Word of God. Can I see your hand this morning? Thank you. And then maybe you're one of those that you'd say, Pastor, I'm one of those spongy-minded people. I hear suggestions and I think, oh, you know, maybe that's right. And I hear another suggestion and I think, maybe that's right. And I hear another one and I change my mind again. And I realize that the Bible says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But pastor, I've been spongy. And I need the Lord to get me to the place where I'm not open to the suggestions of the enemy. But I'm only open to the suggestions of the Spirit. Can I see your hand this morning if that's you? If, you? if you've been spongy. If you're open to suggestions. Amen. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want the prayer team to come and get in place if you would. And I would like for you to make two lines up here. One facing the congregation and one facing me. We're going to allow a space for them to walk in between. And we're going to pray for those who come. Now we kept our mind closed, our—I mean, excuse me—our head bowed and our eyes closed. So nobody in this room except me knows when you lifted your hand. But I want to pray for you today. Now we don't have time for you to come in here and stop and stay for a half hour. You're going to have to keep walking so that we can get everybody through here. But I'm going to come down here and we're going to pray for you today. We're going to pray that God will give you the strength to overcome and the wisdom that you need, the knowledge that you need to start the process of freeing your mind. If you're here and you'd like prayer for anything today, whether it's a physical healing in your body or a financial situation in your life, anything at all, I want you to come to my right and your left. And when you get here, just start walking through here and we're going to lay our hands on you. And we're going to pray for you and we're going to believe that God will do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power that lives in us. Now, if you don't need prayer, just stay back there and worship with us and let's honor the Lord as we close out with prayer and worship today. It's been a wonderful day in Jesus Christ. We have his word today. Come for prayer. Come on. And let, let us pray for you as you come this morning.